Hi, you're listening to Thoughtful Wellness Revolution, where we believe wellness isn't wellness if it's just for you. We're your hosts, Zara and Hien. And before we get started, please make sure to give us a five-star rating and review. Even though we're a podcast that believes in decolonizing, we're still bound to the algorithm. So every little bit that you can help us out, we really appreciate it. And we thank you for all the support. Let's get into it. Hi, friends. Today, we are talking to Inara Valiani, who is a Master of Public Health candidate in health behavior at the University of North Carolina, located in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So, Inara, what's on your mind today? Well, I just want to start off by thanking you so much for having me here today. Um, In all honesty, this might be a little blunt, but I feel like I'm in a little bit of a rut with the whole... Mm -hmm um kind of feels like a step backwards in the pandemic and like being back in that March 2020 kind of lockdown but also having just seen like this glimmer of hope between last spring to like a little bit more and like up to November so it feels like a little bit of a step back and I felt like I was in that rut this weekend but overall I'm very grateful and happy I have a safe place to be I can take care of myself for the most part and the people around me but I'm trying to get better at not just answering the how are you or what's on your mind question with good I'm trying to be better about that with myself so (laughs) sorry about the little spiel there (laughs) No, we love that. We love the spiel and we love the bluntness because that's what we are about here. Um, be, saying you're good in the middle of a pandemic where everything is falling apart is a lie. I mean, we can have good days and good moments, but it's like a very surface level answer. So we love yeah. the realness. Yeah, I think that's what sparked my whole, well, I'm not always good. And like, it's always just such an easy way to cut through things or not even not only not being honest with other people, but also just like not being honest with yourself. So that was just a commitment I made to myself to stop saying (laughs) as often. Yes. Okay. Well, we love that. Um, Okay. So I want to share, I guess, a bit with our listeners. You already know this because I'm going to tell we it's about us. Um, (laughs) But um, so Inara is, as we said, a public health candidate and she works in health behavior and she is also my cousin. So I saw her recently and we were, I semi-recently and (laughs) we were having a conversation and I was telling her about the podcast and wellness. And I was like, wow, yeah, like it just, wellness should include art and education and systems. It's not just about taking a yoga class and like feeling good. Um, And she was like, oh yeah, you're talking a bit about the social model of health and you also do work within, I believe, I'm going to maybe get this wrong, but pain management in Black and Brown communities? Yeah, so a big interest of mine is uh, specifically like substance misuse, use, and abuse. Um, And then just because of, unfortunately, the way our society is set up, that is an issue that disproportionately affects um, a lot of BIPOC communities in our country. And then it kind of was brushed over until... I might get their year wrong because it's been quite a while. And in this field, everything moves pretty quickly. I want to say in 2015 is when um, like opioids became um, a substance that was more so being used and abused by white Americans because it was then um, being mass prescribed by physicians to white Americans who have access to um, normative standards of care. Um, And then more people were getting addicted to the substance and so on and so forth, leading to our current opioid crisis, which was declared by the Trump administration in 2017, I wanna say. But again, that it's an issue that has been around and has affected countless of um, minority communities for years and years now, but again, it didn't get the attention it warranted until it was an issue that directly affected white Americans. Okay. There was a lot. (laughs) No, I love that. It just gave me two questions. And I feel like one question leads into like something else I want to ask. So I will save that bit for there. Mm -hmm. Um, But so tell us a little bit about like your work in that and what kind of made you choose this arena? Because I know you had some other things, Mm -hmm. um, but like, especially because we're in the middle of, uh, we have already addressed a pandemic um and it is stressful vibes I'm just curious yeah and public health how'd you get there we love you yeah. we need you 
definitely take a couple steps back with that that's that's one of my niche interests and the great thing about public health is that it is so broad and I'm so biased when I say this but I genuinely think that public health is embedded into every every system and everyday life um because it's not just even though the word health is in the title of the field it's it's based I think it's the way like society society's inner workings in my opinion um so I guess a little bit about me and my background is from a young age, I always knew I wanted to work in something health related. Um, and I always wanted to focus on like uplifting others through health and well-being. But, you know, because of the way I was brought up and just the way like school systems are set up, the only way I thought to do so or the only way in profession I thought could really embody that was to be like a direct provider. So and part of that is also maybe just like the first generation immigration experience of, um, you know, you can only be successful if you are a doctor or a medical provider of sorts. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I love health and I love the services that I can do with it. So I'm going to do something related to that. And um, my mom has been working as a dental assistant since she came to the Western world and um, has been doing so since she was 19. So like the field of dentistry was something I was always exposed to for a long time. So I was like, oh, perfect. Like that is something I want to do. It checks off the boxes that I think um, like healthcare means. So that's something that I committed to really early on. And when I got to college and I started taking all of the prerequisites, which is a lot of your like core sciences. So the biologies and the chemistries and the organic chemistries and et cetera, et cetera. I constantly found myself frustrated and also drained by the idea that or the concept that health was con and health of people specifically was always being broken down into these really small micro subjects and it's like cells and molecules like in those classes and like those classes then breed physicians dentists etc cetera, etc cetera. in those classes your patients are treated like cells and molecules and it just felt like it dehumanized the entire idea of health. And I was always so mad at that and so frustrated with that. But it was, I like would force myself to kind of get over it because it was a means to an end. And then I kind of stumbled into a public health class. Um, and I say stumbled because it was quite literally an accident, just ended up on my schedule one semester. So I just kind of went with it. And finally, in that class, it was the bridge between like humans and healthcare and health and well-being specifically. Um, and it was no longer, it, it felt like the humanization of health, which is something that I was missing for so long. Um, and then as I, like that class kind of opened my train of thought up to thinking more about why I was pursuing the things I wanted to pursue. And I was telling Zara a little bit about this back when we met I guess not met but in our <laughs> most recent encounter <laughs> um, that the reason I was so attracted to dentistry then when I was old enough to form my own thought is because it's one of the most underserved healthcare services in the United States and then by extension globally so I was really drawn to the idea that oh if I become a dentist I can help fill this disparity and I can help like you know serve people more Unfortunately, that is not the work that dentists themselves do. They are there to take care of the patients they are, um, the patients that they are provided or the patients listed out for them. And then they close shop at five o'clock and they move on. Unfortunately, that is the way that our healthcare system is set up in the United States and also kind of around the world. Um, and so I realized that I wasn't going to get to do the work I wanted to do in that role. Not that that role isn't important and not that um, doctors shouldn't understand the inner workings of your body and the cells and whatever that I was mad about aren't important because <laughs> they are. But I also think that there needs to be a hand in hand because there is a disconnect between the two in the sense that public health addresses a lot of outside factors that then directly affect community and also individual well-being. So that kind of brought me to that piece of the puzzle where I was like, okay, I'm interested in this disconnect and there is a disconnect. And while they kind of operate in their own fields, like the medical field, it kind of feels like it's always pitted against each other, like the medical field versus public health. Um, I just think that there's, there needs to be more of like 
a meeting between the two because that's where a lot of unfortunately people fall through the reins of it so that's what broadly brought me to public health and um in my opinion what public health means is it's the conditions in which you live work and you play that's been my favorite definite definition of it that i've come across through xyz years of schooling and also just through like my lived experiences because in my opinion health is so much more than like the state of disease versus non-diseased or ill versus versus non-ill i don't even know if that's the correct term for it <laughs> because um again, it's holistic. It's, it's how you feel when you wake up emotionally. It's how you feel like with your state of mind and how you're able to move through your day, if you're able to move through your day. And that that's also physically, that's transportation wise. That's, it's so broad. And so that's why I really like the whole live, work and play. Cause it's not only, um, I also love the addition of the word play there because your social support is also so important to your health. And, um, all of that. So that's broadly what I think public health means to me. Um, and then also as someone who comes from a marginalized identity and identifies with parts of that, I think part of public health is also a little bit of trauma dumping. It sounds harsh, but um, it sounds awful. But because of the way that academia kind of is, it's, you know, very white centric. It's capitalist, it's very money driven. A lot of the times the topics being addressed by people in terms of like public health issues come from people that don't necessarily have any ties or understandings of the communities that they want to intervene in. So even if the intentions are so good, um, and I'm not saying that meaningful work cannot be accomplished by someone who's not belonging to that direct community, I guess more so what I'm trying to say is that oftentimes the extent to which an average practitioner who who comes from these normative institutions, like their average amount of knowledge comes from what they learn from a textbook or an infographic. And it's a lot of times these things that they cannot wrap their minds around. And I say they, but I include myself in that because I have my identity and it's not everyone's identity. So more so when I'm saying trauma dumping um, in terms of my work with public health, I think it's just bringing my lived experiences to the table. And those are valuable experiences that unfortunately aren't always represented in a lot of like traditional academic spaces. Okay. I'm I didn't cry on any of the first season and I only cried a little bit on this one so far, but I am tearing up so deep because <laughs> poof. Um I wanted to like jump up and dance when you were talking about the way um health is not just about like what you do or what you eat it's like live work play like there's so much to our lives that incorporates it because I feel like that's really what we're so much about here um I want to get more into that but I also want to say like I feel like as an interdis I studied interdisciplinary studies in college and um I wanted to go to law school and then into education and saw that the systems were really broken and now I'm here you know there's a lot of other steps in between there but that's not the point but it's just so beautiful to hear um, that you're able, you're go, you had this, a similar experience of like, I want to be able to do this from a level where I'm actually bringing humanity back into the world and not through a level where I am, um, pulling things apart because I think a lot of what we've done in the world is really because we've learned to specialize, which is like really important. Like we said, we need people looking at the cells and the other things that I don't care about. Um, <laughs> because I don't care about them, but I do want to understand how they all connect. And I feel like on, it seems like on a deep level that public health is more of an interdisciplinary work because you're looking at healthcare, you're looking at work, you're looking at social factors and society factors and biological behavioral factors, like so many different things, which I really love. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was the nail on the head. You hit. <laughs> yeah. And I also want, okay. So that kind of leads me into the second part of this, which is like, Tell us more about this is because the social model of health is something I brought up before, but it really sounds like work, play, live, you know, like that social model of health, right? Like what can you tell us more about what that is? Because I looked it up a little bit after you left and we talked about it, but I, I think everyone want, everyone should know more about this. Yeah. Definitely. So um, I'm going to delve in a little bit. I might geek out a little. So stop me. I, I'm a rambler. Um, so there's three kind of aspects of it that I'm going to touch on. I'm going to touch on the social model itself, 
how it's juxtaposed with the medical model. And then another framework that I really like that goes hand in hand with the social model is more so the social determinants of health. So um, the medical model is typically what is most accepted and understood. It is what I had followed blindly for a lot of years and something that I, I just didn't know there was more to health than the medical model itself. And um, as I mentioned earlier, it kind of centers around science as a vessel for curing disease and illness. In this model, I'm gonna read a little bit. Um, the state of being healthy versus unhealthy relies solely on the presence or lack thereof of disease. So that is how the medical model is defined. Um, in my opinion, I think it's a very limited definition for some of the things I touched on already. So then on the other hand, we have the social model of health, which considers the social, cultural, political, and environmental factors that contribute to well-being. So the medical model came first in the line of history and wh whoever discovered what. <laughs> and it was uh, then the social model was made in response to that when people figured out that, oh, that actually doesn't encompass everything that um, people need on a daily basis and for daily living. So um, the best way that I've kind of heard it explained is the medical model looks for what is wrong with a person, whereas the social model looks at what a person needs to do to prevent an adverse outcome from even starting or occurring. So it's kind of more of like focus on that root. And there's not one root on root causes of the things that then later on the medical model has to kind of deal with and diagnose and treat. Um, so in medicine, treatment is kind of the end goal, um, but the scale of treatment in the current practice of medicine is so skewed and it's often just a band-aid solution for larger issues in healthcare and by extension society. Um, so for example, let's say a patient comes in and they're diagnosed with type two diabetes. With the medical model, the doctor is going to prescribe them insulin. They're going to tell the patient to exercise more they're gonna tell them to eat healthier and then they're gonna send them on their way because another big thing with medicine currently is efficiency. Get the patient in, figure out what's wrong, send them on their way, deal with whatever outcomes later. Um, so then to supplement that idea, I like what is called the social determinants of health and that can include education access and quality, healthcare access and quality, food and nutrition, which is one of the newer ones that was added into the model, um, neighborhood and built environment, social and community context, and lastly, economic stability. Um, so under these different determinants, it considers things like employment, social support, housing, literacy, language, stress, and a multitude of other factors that kind of relate to it. Um, so going back to that example of the type two diabetes, a lot of times people and particularly patients are told that their health problems are their fault or it's kind of the culmination of their own poor individual choices that have led to now this, this diagnosis and this health issue or this health problem. So it's, you know, you don't eat healthy enough. You don't exercise enough. This runs in your family. This is your genetics. You drink too much, you smoke too much, et cetera. And while these things can be contributors to poor health outcomes, um, let's expand the lens a little bit. So why instead is a doctor not asking if they're consistently seeing a certain demographic reporting type 2 diabetes, if they're constantly diagnosing patients with type 2 diabetes, et cetera, et cetera? Why aren't they asking them, why do you drink more than the average person? Why do you smoke more than the average person? Why, why do you do X, Y, Z to then have this diagnosis? So peeling back the layers, there's a lot of reasons why people engage in these unhealthy behaviors. We were told from such a young age, smoking is bad for you, don't smoke, but it's still one of the most common preventable behaviors that people do and engage in regardless of what they're told throughout their whole lives. And so a lot of times these unhealthy behaviors, and I'm putting quotations up, even though on the video you can't see them, these quote unquote unhealthy behaviors are coping mechanisms for other daily stressors. Um, is it daily dealings with discrimination that then lead them to do this? Is it social exclusion? Is it financial insecurity? Is it having limited transportation? Is it limited mobility? Is it the lack of autonomy someone feels over their own life? It can be anything. And more importantly, it can be something completely out of control of an individual. And these factors are 
exacerbated for BIPOC communities. And so that's why I think it's really important that we consider the social model and the social determinants of health in our systems, because at the end of the day, while an individual diagnosis can be kind of a result of factors or choices that a person makes, a lot of times the systems and the structures that they are placed in and that they live in, that they work in, that they play in, are set up against them to then, you know, inflate these conditions. And so it's not one person's fault, it's rather a whole framework's fault. Wow, I just wanna say like, thank you so much for, you know, you said that you might be geeking out, but I just felt like you were so thorough and that's so needed. Like the way you explained everything, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, thank you for, you know, teaching us all these things. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about myself with some of the things you're saying, because I'm thinking like, and, you know, I'm somebody with, you know, uh, a certain um, identities that might make me more privileged, but also certain identities that might make me more marginalized. And something I was just thinking about with like, when you were mentioning like food and nutrition is like, um, I saw this tweet a while back and I relate to it where people talk about having their emotional support Taco Bell. And like, that's honestly kind of like where I'm at in like this pandemic, um, is that I will choose to get my quote unquote emotional support Taco Bell. Um, and the reason is because, it's cheap um, and I'm feeling stressed because life is really hard right now. And it just gives me that sort of like, uh, you know, the little like reward system in my head of like, oh, that just feels good. Cause it's like the food, the way it's made is like just really tasty, right? Even if it's not super nutritious. Um, even though I live really close to an, a local organic grocery store, um, but it's super expensive. Like every time I go in there, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so expensive just to get like a little salad or a sandwich or something, even though that's like the quote healthier food. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a wealthy person. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm just thinking about it in my own life and with my own decisions as well is that, yeah, I would love to always be eating healthy and going to their organic grocery store, but also there's so much in uh, my life and the stressors in my life of just being a woman of color, living under capitalism, trying to survive, you know, that I'll choose to opt for my emotional Taco Bell <laughs> oftentimes, <laughs> like no shame. No, that is so valid. And it's also like, it's crazy that like, we're aware of these things theoretically. And uh, for me, that comes from having this privilege of some sort of health literacy um, and growing up in the Western world and kind of being exposed to that from a younger age to then developing it now. But it's great. Like we're aware of these things and we want to do them in theory, but sometimes we can't, or we don't want to, and that should be okay. And we shouldn't have to like I don't know. That's just a whole nother <laughs> a little rant. But um, that kind of reminded me of like a personal experience I've had in like the research world with it. Um, and this ties back to some bigger frustrations and critiques I have of public health itself. And I think, you know, you should be able to critique whatever field you're in. And I know Zara does that a lot with, you know, the work she's done in the past. And so um, just because we're doing things doesn't mean we have to blindly accept them. But um, so for example, so in my junior year of undergrad, um, I was also a public health major in undergrad. So just kind of extending that onto now with higher education. But um, I was a research assistant on a project and it was basically trying to adapt like, um, the University of Pennsylvania has this nutrition retail environment measure survey where they can like rank different grocery stores for like the healthy or the level of healthy foods that they offer and like the different advertising for it, whether they like readily advertise if WIC is accepted and like different food service programs are accepted. And so what my um, principal investigator was trying to do was adapt that tool to then be able to apply to beverages um, and so like how heavily were sugar sweetened beverages kind of pushed to the front of stores where they were placed, um, was WIC accepted on, you know, the healthier quote, healthier options, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then what they were trying to do with that is um, basically the way, so the research project was housed in Washington, DC and the way that DC is set up is it's um, kind of split into what are called wards. So in other um, states, those are kind of like synonymous with counties, the concept of different counties. So there's um, eight wards in DC, 
see. And kind of as you go down the numbers, the lower ranked wards are the ones that have higher levels of poverty, um, have more communities of color based in them and like kind of have been pushed out with gentrification with the way that young professionals in DC operate. Um, so then what they were trying to do with this beverage tool was advocate for more grocery stores in the in the lower ranked, ranked is a weird word for them, in the lower numbered wards, um, because I believe, I knew this number off the top of my head a year ago, but I don't know it now, but I want to say ward eight has two grocery stores and maybe ward seven has one or basically seven and eight have less than five grocery stores in their respective areas despite housing a good number of people considering it is an urban environment so you know there are people packed into these spaces um so they were going to use the tool to then advocate for more grocery stores to be built but a problem with this is that it's a very i keep using the word normative but it, it's a very normative solution to like oh these people have uh, they have higher rates of obesity, they have more heart disease in these areas, et cetera, et cetera. It's because they don't have access to healthy foods. So let me build them a grocery store so then they can go buy groceries and blah, blah, blah. What that fails to account for is one, even if you have grocery stores, are people able to afford them? Two, where are these grocery stores going to be built? Realistically, what's going to happen is an apartment building or some sort of public housing is going to be torn down to then make space for the grocery store, which then forces residents of those areas to be pushed further out, which has already happened so much in DC and in cities across the country, but in DC particularly, just keep getting pushed further and further out of the district itself into surrounding areas. So, you know, it's this very white power focused solution of like, I know what we should do, we should build a grocery store. But it's like, if you look at the history of things, these communities have been thriving, surviving, mm, I don't know, have, have been self-functioning for so long. And just because you now recognize them as needing something, like that's when you want to intervene. But let's look at the resources that they already have. What already works for them to have um been operating for this long without your quote unquote help and you know when you peel back that layer of things and as a as a researcher it was something i was able to do because i was like you know that feels fishy to just like build this thing that maybe they don't even want because why hasn't it been built yet that's another question has that been asked why hasn't it been built yet um and like let's see what's already going on here before we consider just like Putting, like just placing this here. Um, and when you look at it, there's actually like community run farmers markets that have been going on for years, years. And um, they accept food stamps, they accept WIC, and like they're all like run by local like farmers, local people, people from the residents in that area. And, you know, instead of implementing what you want as, or what, I hate using the word you, implementing what, research-based solution that is deemed fit, why don't we as public health practitioners look at what's already working and see how we can then funnel our resources with the privilege that we have of having an institution behind us or having more funding behind us, having more grants behind us to then expand what already exists. Like why do we have to implement our savior idea of what works instead of looking at what the community wants, what they've already been doing and what they need more of? oh my god I love that and it addresses so many one lovely lovely amazing well, they're not great points because like we wish they weren't points but they right. are amazing <laughs> because they like brilliantly and eloquently said um because it it really is such a question of like why are we not looking to these communities who are quote unquote looking to help and see what they actually want and what they need versus what we think they need you know um, and if anyone listening to this podcast is struggling to understand that concept, think about all those times when you didn't tell someone or someone didn't ask you what you needed and gave you something and you got upset because it wasn't what you wanted or needed. Um, yeah, again, on a bigger things, scale. yeah, things aren't one size fits all. And like, so often we want them to be and like, it, it, it extends beyond what I'm talking about, what you're talking about, Zara. It's just like, not everything is one size fits all. And even though cap 
capitalism tells us it should be, it is not. <laughs> um, yeah, those are big, big vibes. Um, uh, well, I really am loving this conversation and I'm curious you can say this in the framework of public health or in how it relates to your understanding of the world, but we always phrase it in the terms of wellness. So those are the words we're going to be hearing when I ask this question is what's one more, what's one more thing? What's one thing you want to see more of in wellness and what's one thing you want to see less of? Yeah, I, I think I touched, or I didn't, I never said it directly, but what I was trying to touch on with my last point is um, one thing I want to see less of. I, I was trying to I was trying to figure out does this fit into the more of or the less of box, but I think a big limitation of public health right now, and sorry, that is what I keep stemming back to because to me, well-being falls under that for me. Um is typically a lot of public health can then fall back on the white savior complex. Um, and the white savior complex is basically what I was trying to say earlier of like, this is what I believe is right. And because I come from a position of privilege, my solution is the best solution. And I'm here to help you, not necessarily what you want or need, but I'm here to help you with what I think is right. So this is what I'm giving to you. So I think we need to see less of that in wellness, um, but it's it's a really difficult thing to kind of unpack because um, typically public health student or public health relies heavily on students, researchers, and volunteers who come from high resource um, sources, if that makes sense. So like a lot of academic institutions and other like normative institutions, for example, like the CDC, the WHO, like these are all these big institutions with like um that are set up kind of like corporations unfortunately um and they also inherently benefit from their proximity to whiteness so these individuals and these groups and these organizations they want to work in areas that or with populations with the limited conventional resources and it's really easy because of their standing in um like social spaces political academic whatever standings that they have in society um to think that what they have to offer is the most novel and beneficial, but it is important to remember that um, a community, whatever whatever community, whatever identity it is, is operating much for, or has been operating way before we as public health practitioners get there. And you know, I include myself in the narrative because it kind of is where I'm <laughs> working or seeking to work right now. Um, and so this concept I think is called positionality. So kind of recognizing your identities and your biases or my identities and my biases before I enter a space. And so I think that needs to be seen more of, and that's why I was trying to decide whether I want to phrase it as less or more. But I think recognizing positionality is something I want to see more of in wellness. Um, and I think that's, or I want to say there is a bigger push for that more recently in academia than there ever ever has been before. Um, whether it's performative or not, I think it depends on the person. Um, but I would like, to, I'd like to believe, I'd like to believe there's a bigger push for it now more so than ever. Um, and so again, like a, a big thing with meaningful public health work is listening to your target population and ultimately accepting that you know, or I know a lot less than I think I do. Um, and that stems across so many different disciplines. So even if you share commonalities with them, even if I share commonalities with whatever um no one knows the community better than the community itself so i want to hear a lot more dialogue rather than intervention based solutions wow yes yes i absolutely loved all of that where can people get in touch with you you can of course feel free to reach me i guess through if you want to talk about professional things through my linkedin you can look me up under inara Bolyani. Um, and then on a more personal basis, I am always open to email discussions. I love Zooms, as we can tell. I like the accessibility that Zoom has provided us. So also feel free to email me. It is my first name, inara.lastnamevalyani at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much for your time and all the wonderful things you taught us.
No, thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry if it came off as teacher student. I'm also novice in this field as well. I'm <laughs> just getting my bearings. So <laughs> we love it. We love it. Thank you. So this is our post interview with Inara. Okay. I absolutely love this conversation. I obviously am biased because she is my relative and I love her, but um, I, the one thing that, I mean, there's so many different things that stopped me, but I think this is a really great point because it kind of ties to our last interview with, um, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on a name? Denise. Um, Cause Denise was talking about uh, politicized somatics and it felt so much like what Anara was talking about in the context of um, how white folks and folks of the majority or folks in power with power, proximity to power and whiteness are moving into uh, marginalized communities or underserved communities and trying to implement their ideas. It felt to me, and she was talking about how it's so important that what we need more of is recognizing what are my biases and what are your biases and what are my power and what's your relation to power when I walk into the room. And that felt so much like, yes, politicized somatics, right? That's what it was. That's such a thing that we need because it's, it's so frustrating to be talking to white people who genuinely do want to do better. You know, it's not like they're like asshole people who are like, fuck you and your issues. They're people who want to do better, but they don't recognize how their own body and their own somatics and their own things impact the way other people are able to relate to you. And I just thought that was so interesting um, to see it because she addressed it and talked about it more beautifully and eloquently than I did um, in the podcast. So I think it's really, it's just interesting to see how both of those concepts are from two different people in two completely different fields, but we're having the same issue. And so it really just made me see like how uh, prevalent it is in the different areas of my life in our lives, not my life specifically. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, I feel like there's definitely, it's no surprise. There's definitely a theme, um, with these conversations that we're having, um, and probably, you know, why we even have this podcast, why it's needed, right. Is because like the voices and the presence of, the people of the global majority, BIPOC, marginalized people with marginalized identities, like their voices and presence are just not fully seen in a lot of spaces. They're not fully seen. They're not heard. There is, what's interesting is when she was talking about um, like the white saverism in like public health, I thought that was really interesting because I'm like, shit, that's like in everywhere in wellness, right? Like I, I feel like in, it's, I want a wellness world where we don't have to worry about saverism from anybody, like where we could all be well and have both self-care and community care, but not in like a weird, I think Anera used the word like intervention, like they're intervening instead of like listening to communities of color for like what's actually working and like, how can we support what you are needing and what you're wanting to do? And I just think about that as well with like, you know, it hap we all know it happens or not we all, Zara and I both know it happens in yoga and mindfulness spaces as well, where the white savior comes up with like, let's offer a yoga or meditation class for like the underserved populations. But it's like, is that what they actually need at this moment? And like, is the way you're offering it really actually as helpful as you think? Like, you know, there's just, yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love that you said that because I think um, it brings me back obviously to Palo Ferry. And this is the point I was going to make earlier, but I got mumbled with a few other things. Um, but it really brings me back to Paula Ferry's work of like false generosity is when you have saviorism, when you think you can go into a space and that you know more than other people and that there is nothing you can learn, you fall into first and foremost, my most hated concept, but most talked about concept of banking modeled education and tabula rasa, which is that people are blank slates. They are not blank slates, baby. You can't go into a space and not be 
and, and pretend that those people don't already have a system and things that work for them. Like, it's like when white people came to the Americas and were like, oh, savages. And it's like, no, they don't have guns because they're not at war with each other all the time. Like, there, there are different factors at play here. Sorry, I did a bit of a jump there, but we do know, like, I want to bring it back to the fact that it is, it comes, we, we get back to this banging model of education, we get back to this idea of false generosity, where it's like, oh, I have something to offer that you don't have. I'm going to give you something that without me, you could never have. And in that way, I still am dehumanizing myself and I'm dehumanizing you because I, I think I'm above you. And humanity can't exist in hierarchy. Humanity exists on um, like an, I'm blanking on a word. So if you, end up, you have a good word for it, uh, not on a hierarchy, on a non-hierarchical status. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a word too. And I, I don't know a word like what's the opposite of hierarchy you know I don't know I'm gonna we're so used to it exactly exactly I'm just gonna say in relation humanity happens in relation and hierarchy is not a relation it's a structure and an order you know what I mean yeah there's it's not like oh how do we all relate to each other it's I'm at the top and you're at the bottom or wherever in between you know yeah it is really frustrating I guess um to, I guess, recognize that, you know, everything you're saying with like false generosity and like, you know, white saviorism is, I feel like so much of it is that like, I don't know, colonizer, colonial mindset. And we somehow have accepted that as the norm. And I just don't believe that this is the way things have to be, because we have been taught that this is just the way things are similar to the way certain populations are taught like oh you're just gonna have heart disease or you're just gonna have whatever and it's like really like just because magically not because of history or I don't know something that the colonizers did you know not because we're perpetuating systems that have that were broken from design You know what I mean? It feels like when you need to go out and conquer the world and take resources and marginalize folks, it feels like maybe you're missing something. I don't know. You seem to be trying to fill it with a void of resources. I don't know. Just a thought. Um, You know what I mean? It's, it's, It's a frustrating reality to notice. And then for them to still be like, no, no, I'm gonna give you something. And it's like, we're tired. We know that you have things to offer. Everyone has things to offer. So if you could please sit down and let someone else share, it would be really great. <laughs> and you know, that's another interesting thing is that idea of like, oh, we're gonna, you know, give you something. Like I I just think like I it's it's like it's it's like kind of like you are trying to. Uh, provide solutions for problems that you created and I find that really annoying like I'm tired of that it's just like you created problems with this system that you continue to perpetuate and then now you're trying to give us solutions but really the solution shouldn't be necessarily led like from coming from you because like it goes back to what Anara said, like listening, because there, I feel like there are solutions within every marginalized communities. They create their own spaces. They create their own ways of like resistance and survival and even, you know, thrive. They thrive in their own ways. And instead of seeing that as like, and, and that's, you know, instead of like, I guess, nurturing that or, you know, cultivating more of that, it's like, what can I dictate to you about what you should do next to help improve your life that is so shitty because I made it that way or I'm a part of the system that made it that way and it's like it's just hard (laughs) like like it's just one of those things where it's like it's such a I feel like every time I realize it it's such a mind fuck it's such a like what Um, the fuck and like we're told that this is just the way things are and I can't stand it you know what I mean it's like I can't stand like I hate it here basically (laughs) I know, absolutely. We're all very tired here right now. We didn't even ask what's up today because we're tired. That's it. Oh, you know what? I was going to, I was going to ask that, you know, Zara, what's on your mind? (laughs) Yeah. What's on my mind is what I began screaming about at the beginning of these episodes. And I'm sorry if you had to lower the volume because I am quite loud sometimes. Um, 
But yeah, absolutely. What I think it's really interesting that I thought we would leave this conversation and be like, oh my God, we have to talk about the social model of health and how amazing it is. And it is amazing, but it's also already the thing we talk about all the time on this podcast. But what was really surprising and not surprising so much as just infuriating an infuriating slap in the face of reality that like white saviorism exists in all these fields and the way you were describing um two things came out to me the way you were describing like that people are trying to go in and fix problems that they already solved we've got like like GE trying to come out with like low energy washers and it's like you're the reason we have a problem I don't want to fucking hear it I don't want to hear it you know And then um, the other thing it made me think of was like really just the coaching industry. Like the entire US system is set up like the coaching industry where it's like, you are an individual. If you're not optimizing your time, you're the problem. And you know, that's not, that's not it. And things are done. It's, it really, okay. So my dad used to say to me, this is a bit of a rambly one, but we already heard my cousin. We're ramblers here. It's my family. Um, but my dad always used to say to me when I wanted things to be a different way, or when I would talk about like, why the fuck is it like this? My dad would always say like, you know, you're going to have a really hard life. If you can't learn to live with the world, the world can't learn to live with you. And I think that's bullshit. And maybe I've already, now that I'm repeating this, I think I may have already said this on an episode, but that's fine. Um, we're bringing it back because it is bullshit. Like, uh, the world should learn to live with us because the world doesn't we, the world doesn't stay the same. We don't all stay the same. You know what I mean? Like different generations need different things. Different people need different things for the world to not work with you feels like we're not running the world correctly, you know, and social models health and all these things that look at like, Hey, look at these systems, look at these factors, look at all of the pieces of this puzzle and not just this one individualistic thing, um, that you're doing wrong so that you can live with the rest of us. You know, because like, what are the rest of us? Who? What are we all agreeing on? When has anyone agreed on everything and on anything? Everyone agreed on anything in the last, I don't know, four years. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I think so. Something that is on my mind is like the way these systems, and it's funny you say that. Like the way the country is, it's like kind of like the coaching industry because when you said that I was like oh that's and that's on neoliberalism baby right like that's the neoliberalism part of like we all need to optimize ourselves as individuals or whatever and the markets will help us dictate the best way to do it right like yuck but I just feel like it is hard to have accountability in this system or like this system like never takes accountability it feels like and I think that is what is so frustrating is because we are told that we need to take response, like, what is it, like, individual responsibility or some shit, like, I hate that phrasing, by the way, like, I I understand, like, what it means in terms of, like, empowering yourself to help yourself or whatever, like, individual choices, like, I understand, like, there can be good to that, but I hate that that's, like, the sort of, like, uh, encouragement or, like, way to live, because it can't work if the system's also don't take responsibility if there's no accountability for the systems that we live in like it can't just be one thing like it can't there's like a both and to it I guess it's like it it doesn't make sense for me to tell people take individual responsibility make healthier choices um but also the system is not going to do anything to help ensure that you have a healthy environment to live in for instance so it's like what? (laughs) You know, it's like, I can make all the healthy choices, but if climate change is just going to fuck me up, then like, how, how, how can I be well? You know, like it's, it's just so much bullshit, I guess. Um, and it's interesting. I didn't know where this podcast would go and where our conversation would go, but I'm just feeling very, um, present, I guess, with this feeling of like, this is bullshit. (laughs) Like just, just, just like a very, just like a very, um, I guess like a raw emotion, like almost an anger of like, yeah, this fucking sucks. And you know what? It's okay to know that it sucks. And it, and yes, we do a lot that, or like we do what we can and we try to look at solutions, but also sometimes I just want to sit and be like, yeah, and this sucks. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the recognizing that it sucks is like a really big part of it. Um, cause I feel like it's easy to fall into despair about it, but to, we need to be angry. I'm sorry. Like, I know that this is a wellness podcast and we're here for wellness, but part of wellness is fucking having systems that work and systems that support us that help keep us well. Um, and if you're not infuriated by the failure that the systems in this country or the failures of the systems in this country of the last few years, um, get angry stop being sad because the world is not over it's not all doomed we have to fucking get on board and get to work like it's um and i want to circle this back which is a really good point um to we talked about individual responsibility and system responsibility and accountability and like the thing is is like what you're talking about i think is civic responsibility and civic individuality right it's like the thing is is like as to be a part of government like the social contract that is formed is i will give some of my personal individual freedoms up so that we can all have something and it feels really hard to want to do the thing that is giving up some of your power which like i'm not condoning people who don't wear masks and are like my civil liberties but i mean like the reason that as a society we wear masks is so that we can protect each other right like and that's where the issue is is we don't have a system that's encouraging us and encouraging our civic responsibilities and first and foremost taking criticism from um their supporters because i think that's a very important piece of being a leader is being able to take criticism and from there taking accountability for what they're doing wrong so i agree with you i'm sorry i'm rambling about this but it it's i love your anger i'm happy we're getting angry about this and that we're moving into the direction hopefully of more conversations like this and praxis and figuring out what that looks like for all of us because that's what we need yeah that that is definitely what we need and you know i really hope you know in the bonus episode inara talked about um, her research with substance use, misuse, and abuse in Black and Brown communities, and sort of some of the solutions with the framework that they're trying to work with, like with the harm reduction framework, and how it's hard to do because of our country's like war on drugs policy BS, right? And and you know, I just really hope that. And also, you know, if you subscribe to our Substack, you can listen to that bonus episode. But I really hope that the things that you know, public health people are trying to do to actually help us and to help us not just in, as individuals, but like systemically with the systems we live in. Like, I really hope that the country. Um, goes on board with it because that's what we need we need to get angry so that they actually like yeah collective action yes yes exactly collective action yeah any other words you want to share Zara I see your dog is on screen again I know she's like I need attention right now she also feels strongly about all of us organizing in collective action um no I honestly I'm loving this episode and this season. I, yeah, I hope everyone has enjoyed and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Thoughtful Wellness Revolution podcast. For bonus content, you can go to thoughtfulwellnessrevolution.substack.com and subscribe for $5 a month. You can also follow us on Instagram at Thoughtful Wellness Revolution to share your thoughts. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you're listening.